Please listen carefully. Welcome to the Film Revere Podcast, episode number 24. This week brought to you by Audible. I'm your host, Zach Hamilton. My guest for this episode is special makeup effects legend Howard Berger. But first, a quick Revered Network update. The Revered Network will be launching an all-new podcast this Friday, June 22nd. The show is titled Music Revere Podcast and will feature interviews with musicians and other music industry professionals each week. This week's guest is Julia Ross. Julia is a vocalist and songwriter and has shared the stage or studio with artists like Miley Cyrus, Will I Am, Lily Allen, The Chainsmokers, and more. Along with the launch of Music Revere Podcast, the Revered Network has already launched the Music Revere playlist exclusively on Spotify. This playlist features music from past and upcoming guests of the Music Revere podcast and is updated weekly. Be sure to check the link dump or revereednetwork.com for the link. Coming up next, I have a conversation with Howard Berger. Howard is an Oscar award-winning special makeup effects artist who has over 230 film and television credits and is known for his work on Predator, Chronicles of Narnia, Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, Lone Survivor, and Deepwater Horizon. More recently, you can see his work on television shows The Orville and Legion. Please keep in mind that this is part one of two of my talk with Howard. The second part will air this Wednesday, June 20th. That being said, please stay tuned as we will now be taking a quick commercial break. All right, guys and gals, are you like me and want something more than music to listen to during your morning commute? Maybe you want to start reading more, but don't have the time to sit down and open a book. Well, for people on the go, there's Audible. Audible offers over 180,000 audiobooks to listen to on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week, Audible is giving Film Revere podcast listeners a slamming deal. Go to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast for a free 30-day trial, and more importantly, get a free audiobook. Once again, go to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. That's audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. Thanks again to Audible for their support, and thank you listeners. Now, back to the show. Well, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today, Howard. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. So on the show today, we're going to be discussing your early career, as well as how you started your company, KMB Effects Group, and some of KMB's earlier work. That being said, first, I'd love to know, when did you decide to get into special makeup effects? Well, you know what? I, I loved monsters and movies when I was growing up. And uh, for me, it was really, really easy because I knew that somebody made monsters for movies and I was going to eventually do it. And my dad was in the film industry. He was a sound engineer and he really encouraged me um, to be interested in film. And we would watch movies night and day and and talk about films. And I, I, this was early, early on. And so I think about eight years old is really where I was like, I'm going to do this when I grow up. And I started doing, um, well, you can't say research because there was the internet then. So I yeah. went, I found like makeup stores. There's a, a store in North Hollywood that's still there. Um, it's called friends beauty supply. Back then it was called Sig friends beauty supply. It was this little shop on the corner of Laurel Canyon and, um, Magnolia. And, um, and that's where I went and it was great. And it was this teeny little place filled with makeup. There was stuff everywhere and there were really helpful people there. And there's one guy named Mamie 
who was really helpful. And he kind of got me this Mike Westmore book and sold me some alginate and some plaster bandages and some clay. And that's really how it all started. And I just kept going and going and going. And at first I think my parents thought, okay, this is just, you know, it's obviously a a hobby. But then I, I just kept really, you know, doing masks and makeups and it never stopped. They finally realized like this, this kid is serious about this stuff. And I think he's, uh, this is what he wants to do. So my parents, I had really great parents. I, they were super encouraging and they, you know, after I destroyed my bedroom, they built me like a workshop <laughs> outside and, and I then moved all my stuff outside and I could mold make and sculpt. And, you know, all I had, my, the thing I had to do is, you know, make sure I go to school and get good grades and, um, that was it, you know, but so then I would, I, I'd go, I'd go to school. I was a good student and I'd come home and finish my homework and go lock myself in the, in the, in the work shed. And I would just sculpt all my, my mom would bring out my food, you know, for dinner and I just eat and work and work. I couldn't stop. And then I had the opportunity of meeting Stan Winston when I was 12 years old. Holy and, cow. Yeah. And his shop was, um, I had found out his shop was up the street and this is before Stan was famous. This is before Terminator and yeah. And you know, aliens and Jurassic Park. This was, you know, he was a very small shop and he had done, he had just done like the Star Wars holiday special. And that's how I knew him. Oh my and, gosh. And so I found out he was in sort, sort of walking distance. This is about two miles away. So I packed up a, a cardboard box and I had a bunch of photos and like some sculptures and like a mask. And I walked two miles to stand and knocked on the door and he opened up the door and I told him who I was and he invited me in. And to me, it was like the greatest day of my life. And Stan was always super nurturing to me all through my um, teenage years and even into my adult years. And um, I ended up working for him right out of high school. Like I graduated one day and the next day I was working at Stan Winston Studios and I was working on Aliens and Invaders from Mars. And I stayed there for a while and worked on Monster Squad and Pumpkinhead and Predator. Um, And uh, so it was it was a great, great uh, experience. And then I, I, I stalked, um, Rick Baker, you know, who holds seven Academy Awards and, oh, yeah. and in my eyes is the, the greatest makeup artist of, of all time. And, um, and I stalked Rick for months and months and months until I got him on the phone and, and how, how I was, how I found him was I'd seen him at a convention. He was there promoting like incredible shrinking or incredible melting man. So this was in the seventies. And I was like, oh, I got to meet this guy. He's amazing. Everything he showed was spectacular. He just finished some movie called Star Wars. He just finished King Kong. <laughs> so, you know, it was all I was just out of my mind. So I went in a phone book and um, and I kept looking for Rick Baker and I couldn't find it. And then I remember there's this movie called The Incredible Shrinking Woman. And he had built and played Sydney, the talking or the signing gorilla. You know, yeah. which is my all time favorite gorilla suit. I, I, I would kill to have a copy of that. I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, I should call Rick and just ask if I could just get a pull out of that mold. Um, I just love how like that's where your relationship's at now, oh, given it, where it was starting yeah, at the well, beginning. Well, well, listen, I still get heart palpitations whenever I see him. I mean, we've known each other. Again, I met him when I was 13 years old. And um, so anyhow, I, I had the phone book and I couldn't find Rick Baker. But I remember his credit for playing Sydney was Richard A. Baker. So I grabbed the, the white pages and I looked through it and there was Richard A. Baker living on Hortense Street in North Hollywood. And I'm like, I'm going to call. I'm, you know, oh my gosh. And I called and this woman answered who was his then wife, Elaine. 
And she said, yes, this is Rick Baker's residence. I called every single day for six months until she finally went, okay, God, you really want to talk to Rick <laughs> Baker. So here's his shop number and he's waiting for you to call. My heart was exploding and, and out of, uh, you know, out of all this, he's like, you know, just calm down. I'm just a regular person. Um, you're fine. You're fine. And uh, he, he invited me to the shop. And I, I was like, oh, God, I have to go to school tomorrow. But you know what? I'm going to uh, I'm going to go ask my mom. You know, so I walked in. and I said, hey, mom, can I I got invited to go to Rick Baker's shop. Can I go? And she's like, yeah, of course you can go. You know, oh, my God. You've been waiting. I said, she said, I'll drop you off and you can spend the day. And then don't worry. It's one day of school. It's not going to be the end of the world. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I got to spend the day at, at Rick Baker's and he was working on Videodrome at the time. And it was um, it was, again, another life changing experience. So, I, you know, I, I was lucky because I grew up here in L.A. So I had a lot of access to oh, yeah. everybody that did it, you know, and I started writing Dick Smith when I was a kid and, and he would always write back and I have a book. Um, oh my gosh. That has all, Dick Smith. Yeah, all his letters and notes he would send me. It's, it's in my office locked up and it's everything from Dick Smith. He ever sent me since I was, you know, again, I, I think it was like 12 years old where it really kind of kicked in and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is what, this is what I'm going to do. This is, I'm going oh to do it. So, and I did. And what an interesting series of events, you know, I mean, first Stan Winston, then Rick Baker, then you're literally, you know, almost in a way pen pals with Dick Smith. You know, you guys are writing each other. Yeah. That's insane. It is insane. I mean, I was I uh, there was a great book in, uh, called Making a Monster and uh, it was written by Al Taylor. And it's a uh, hardcover and on the cover is a photo of um, Maurice Evans's Dr. Zayas. And I bought that book when I was a kid and I carried it around with me everywhere. It was like my Bible. I always had it in my backpack. So that issue is like all kind of, or that, that, yeah, that, that edition of that book that I have, the original one I still have and it's littered with autographs. So I would carry it around and, and I would, you know, try to meet makeup people and I, and they were in the book. And I remember I had heard there was a union meeting downtown in like in Hollywood. And so yeah. I, I took the bus and I stood outside and all these John Chambers comes out, Dick Smith comes out, Tom Berman comes out. And I just sat there. I was again, I was I was probably 15. Yeah. No, it was. Uh, yeah, I was probably 15 or so. And they all came out and they signed my book. And I have my book, my original book that's filled with autographs. And um, I've bought like four copies of it ever since. So I can just look at now. I put that away safely and I have other copies to look at. So. Wow, that is tremendous! Holy cow! I, you know, I, we'll have to leave a link to the uh, link uh, in the link dump to that book so other people can check that out. That's yeah, a great book. So it sounds like you kind of just were very much in the vein of like teaching yourself mm -hmm. how to do makeup effects, and then obviously being involved with you know these relationships that we're building over the years with such legendary makeup effects artists. Um, did you receive any formal training? Did you go to, or were you just? No, my, all on your own or yeah, just kind of interning? My, my, I went to uh, I went to the school of my bedroom and that was about it. So I uh, I mean, I always like to draw and sculpt and paint and and um, I would always practice and practice more. I practice more then than I do now. And uh, um, but I uh, I just taught myself how to do things and look at photos from like famous monsters and Fangoria and just read all the articles I could. And uh you know, I had a, I met a couple friends that liked the same thing, and we would all sculpt together, and we'd kind of figure out how would you do a mechanical head, how would you do this, how would you do a body cast, what if we did this, and you know, there was a lot of mishaps, and some people you know got hurt and so forth, but it, but we learned you know what to do and what not to do, and and in, oh, and I got a lot of training in high school because 
um, uh, Robert Corelli, who was my high school teacher at Chatsworth High, he realized this kid knows how to do makeup. And so he did shows that required makeup and I would get to do the makeup and like be a, so first time I did prosthetics, I, did, I lied. I said, wow. I said I knew what I was doing and I didn't know shit. So, um, <laughs> so I just kind of made it up and like I had a budget of like $200 and I thought this is awesome. And then I'd make masks for Halloween events, you know, like the, the JCs would have put on a Halloween yeah. thing at Devonshire Downs and they, they hired me for like 300 bucks to make a bunch of masks. And, um, it was stuff like that, you know, I just did it and I never stopped. I just kept working and working and working at it. And, um, and know what I'm still doing it. I'm still learning stuff every day. And whenever I'm on set, I'm watching like somebody that I'm working with, be it like Tammy Lane or Steve Prouty or Jamie Kelman or whoever. And I'm like, God, this is, oh, that's how they do that. Okay. That's cool. And this is, you know, maybe try it this way and then I'll look this way. So to me, it, it never stops. You know, I'm always looking at stuff and I get really inspired by all my friends and, and, um, and colleagues that, that do this. And, and that's what really, uh, keeps me going. You know, I'm, I'm never bored about it at all. I just think it's always fascinating. I love that the passion's definitely not dwindled and if anything has grown even more, sure. you know, intense over the years. I mean, especially with someone who's been in the industry as long as yourself. Um, I mean, since your start, you've been credited in well over 200 film and television projects, a large catalog of your earlier work, as we had kind of mentioned, included horror films such as Predator, Child's Play, and both Nightmare on Elm Street and Evil Dead franchises. Of your earlier work in horror, which film was your favorite to work on and why? Wow, that's a hard one. Well, let's see. Um, I probably, you know, uh, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2 was a big turning point because there's a whole, it's, it actually, it's a really strange chain of events because I was working at a place called, um, uh, worked for a guy named John Beekler who used to do all the, the Charlie Band movies from Empire, like Trolls and Ghoulies and Eliminators, yeah. all, the, all those kind of fun but cheesy movies. And I had a great time working there. And I got a call to go work on this film called Day of the Dead, which George Romero was making, which oh and was shooting in Pittsburgh. So one of our friends, um, John Vulich, who used to own um, Optic Nerve, which uh, did Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you know a bunch of other stuff, and, and uh, Johnny passed away last year, but uh, he was a really great guy, an amazing artist, and he, he got hired by Tom Savini to go work on the show. So anyhow, myself and another friend of mine, Ever Burrell, got a call. We were both 18 years old, and we picked up and we left. And but before I left John Beekler's, um, John said, listen, you have to find somebody to replace your, yourself while you're away. So the day before this this guy from who had just graduated from Joe Belasco's school of makeup was in. His name was Robert Kurtzman. And I picked up his car. And I'm like, hey, I'll call this guy. I gave him a call. Bob said, yeah, I'd love to. I need a job. That's great. And we met that night and we hit it off right out of the bat. And then the next day I left for for um uh for uh, Pittsburgh to go shoot Day of the Dead. So I get off the plane and the first person I meet is Greg Nicotero. And I'm like, hey, I like this guy. And then Greg and I became best friends on that show. It was four months. So that to me was like my college time was on Day of the yeah. Dead. I learned so much. We did so much. I got to work with Tom Savini and I got to become best friends with Greg Nicotero. And at the end of the show, Greg was supposed to go back to med school. He had taken a semester off just to work on a movie because he loves zombies and loved George Romero. And his parents said, fine, you can take a semester off. And I, I just love that premise though. Like, it's like, yeah, I'll take a time off yeah, from med from school, med school. I know. to go like do zombies on day of the dead, you know, because be he was a monster kid as well. He loved it, you know? And, and so I said, dude, don't go back to school. 
move out to LA, we'll room together. There's, I got another friend out there named Bob Kurtzman, we'll get a house together and just tell your folks. So we had to go to his parents' house and his dad's like a, was, is a big prominent doctor. And literally it was like I, we were telling his parents we were eloping or something and, and we stood in front of his dad and his dad was just looking at us and, and Greg goes, dad, I'm not gonna go back to med school. I'm moving to Hollywood with Howard. We're gonna start doing makeup. And his dad looked at us, with, his eyebrow was raised. I remember this so well. And he just went, you will be nothing with hair like that. And we had what we said started growing our hair long. So we, we, it was the beginning of mullets. And that's all, oh that's all his dad could say. So anyhow, packed up Greg, moved back. Uh, the three of us got a house in, in uh, Reseda. And, um, you know, we scraped by and we were all probably making $300 a week. And, uh, but we, that was the beginning of it all. So we ended up working for Mark Showstrom, who was doing um, Evil Dead 2. And Mark kind of gave us all things to do. Like I handled all the Bruce Campbell makeups, all the evil Ash stuff and a couple other oh things. Gosh. Bob handled, um, the evil Linda and ended up co-applying Henrietta and Greg kind of managed the whole thing. Like he was kind of the co- he was the coordinator, handled all the money, handled all, you know, what we needed. It yeah. was crazy. So there's a whole bunch of us, you know, Shannon Shea, Aaron Sims, who's now a big giant designer who back then was just cleaning plaster buckets. And, um, we basically spent like five months prepping this movie. And then we went to North Carolina for four months and shot it. We didn't know what we were doing. We just had a great time. And we all lived in this giant, like Texas chainsaw massacre, like house that had no air conditioning in the the middle of summer in North Carolina, sweating our butts off. And, um, it was great. And then after that, right, I mean, right as that ended, Greg and I got a call to go to New York and prep um, Creepshow 2. And so Greg and I flew to New York and we were on Creepshow 2 till December. So we basically had an entire year. We just, you know, the first half of the year was Evil Dead 2. And the second half of the year was um, was uh, Creepshow 2. And uh, it was just really uh, amazing, you know, and we got back and it all, you know, it's just one thing happens after another. So, you know, Greg, Bob and I were best buddies and, and we were working for like, I was working for Stan and Rick Baker and I was working at the time for Kevin Yeager. And that's where I worked on, um, child's play. Kevin was really great and hired me on child's play. And, yeah. and also I got to do, uh, Robert England's makeup for nightmare four, which was really, really astounding. Holy cow. And Bob and Greg were working for Mark showstrom and they were working on uh phantasm 2 and deep star 6 so one night we got together for dinner and i said you know we work so hard we're supervising all these shows but we don't make any money and we don't get any credit why don't we take a chance not work for anybody and start our own company so we did and we and we took a big chance because we didn't have any money and we just got a little shop space and we ended up um a friend of ours, Scott Spiegel, who co-wrote Evil Dead 2, was um, going to make this movie called Night Crew or Intruder. It has two different names. Mm. And he said, hey, do you know any young guys that would work for free? And we're like, yeah, you're looking at them, dummy. We'll do it. And so <laughs> we basically got $700 to do all the effects for this movie. And um, and it kind of got our foot in the door as, as K&B. And we said, listen, we'll do it for $700, but we want it to say makeup effects by Kurtzman, Nicotero, and Berger EFX Group. And that's what kicked it all off. So Holy cow. Well, and you know, the, the thing is, it's like it was such a, uh, you know, gamble, right? You know, starting a business 
at any in any industry is a gamble, but especially in the film industry. And yet it's paid off so much. I mean, again, like KMB Effects Group, I mean, you know, the founders, you guys, you know, uh, Bob, Greg, and yourself literally have like over 800 feature film tele- and television credits at this point. Yeah. Uh, and your studio is, I would argue, the top makeup effects studio at this point in the game. Yeah, I would I would have to say the same thing. <laughs> and, and when we started, people thought we were going to fail. I mean, people have always made fun of us and they're like, yeah, you guys, that's never going to happen. And, you know, it's just we just had a way about it. And the way it broke down was we were all creatively involved, but Greg really handled the financial aspect of it. Greg's like a money whiz. I could, I could tell, say, Hey Greg, how much money is this account? And he knows it to the penny. Like he's just, that's just him. And well, you definitely need that. Yeah. He's great with that. So he was like the financial guy and he coordinated and made sure it was all there. Bob was kind of like the art director. And then I kind of was the shop supervisor. I ran everything in the shop and let Bob, you know, do what he needed to do. Greg would then tell me what I could do, what we could, you know, and it worked out really, really well. And, and, uh, you know, that went on for, I don't know, 15 years or 12 years before Bob left. And, um, cause Bob decided he wanted to move back to Ohio and raise his kids there. And so then it just became mm-hmm. Greg and I, and the whole, the whole thing changed, which is really interesting. The dynamics changed. had been, we were so used to three partners and now it was, two. Yeah. you know, there's always one, t- one person to tie break the arguments. So, but, <laughs> um, but it was great, you know, and it was really fun. It's like, well, this is a whole new animal now that it's just Greg and myself. And it was nice. It, it's been great. You know, I mean, we get along super well and, and, um, you know, we're like, we actually are like brothers. And Greg is, is, and we both say this, we're, we're each other's oldest relationship, you know, longest relationship because we met in 1986 and, uh, yeah. and we've been, we've been best pals ever since. And K&B hit 30 years this past February. So gosh, what a mile. It, it is. It's crazy. You know, and I, and, and again, we're always talking about like, God, remember when we did this or this, this, we were just kids. We didn't know shit, you know, and now here we're, we're <laughs> in our mid fifties and going, what in the what? But, um, but it's good. It's all good. Yeah. You know, I'd love to know actually just kind of, you know, 30 years, I would love to know, like kind of going back, when did you, when do you think you realize that like, holy cow, KMB effects group is like getting big at this point. Like when did you feel like that was like turning from just small effects group to like, wow, everyone wants us now? Well, no, I, I thought it said a lot when Rick Baker called on men in black and he said, listen, they just added a bunch of stuff and, um, I can't do it all and I'm going to farm stuff out. So would you guys be interested in doing like a couple of the creatures? And I was like, Oh my God, working for Rick Baker again, this is going to be great. You know, and that, oh I, my I, gosh, that yeah. you know, I idolize Rick to no end. I really, really do. And even though I say it to him, he makes fun of me, but I, I do. I love, I love Rick Baker to death. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> I think he's the greatest, but um, you know, I think that was a big turning point. I think people just started seeing us differently. We used to, you know, when we first started out, we were like the gore guys, like, Oh, it's mm-hmm. all about gore, all about gore. And that's fine and dandy. I was never a big fan of all the gore stuff, but, um, you know, I like the, I like the creature stuff and I like the character makeups and so forth. And, and, you know, things just kept growing and growing with each project. They got bigger and bigger and our budgets got bigger and bigger. I mean, you know, we thought that having, $50,000 was like, Oh my God, we're so, we're doing so well, you know, like yeah. $50,000 doesn't cover, you know, one day it can be now. So, um, it's, it's pretty crazy. So, but, uh, 
Yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's just at some point we just started getting higher profile things. I think, you know, obviously what was a very big turning point, I'd say two big turning points um, that I think uh, were, you know, working on the Narnia movies and then getting nominated and winning an Oscar was a big thing. And then I think, and that was that was on my side. And I think on Greg's was landing Walking Dead because Walking Dead, Walking Dead is all Greg. You know, I can't take any credit at all. You know, I'm just, I get to watch and, you know, once in a while be a part of stuff, but that's, that is Greg's world. And like, he has really mastered and crafted everything in that show from day one. And, um, and that, and that, you know, we got, we got brought onto that by Frank Darabont, who was the, uh, the creator of the show. And, um, and, uh, he and Greg are very good friends and, and we did tons and tons of tests until they landed on a look they liked. Like they wanted to find a brand for these zombies, and Greg was so instrumental in in all of that, you know. So you know, sometimes I'm apprehensive about talking about Walking Dead because I'm really not. It's not really my thing. But that that shows a hundred percent Greg, and he's really the guy responsible for everything. And and you know, and he orchestrates it all on set and in the shop. And we have a great team of guys on set and a great team of guys in the shop that just are always working so hard to raise the bar on Walking Dead. But I think to me, like looking at it for me. You know, winning the Academy Award was just humongous for me. And I think for probably for Greg, Walking Dead has given him great opportunity to revisit his roots, which is, you know, the Pittsburgh, Tom Savini, George Romero world. And then, you know, he's an executive producer. He's um, he's their their, you know, number one director on the show. Uh, He he's executive producer on Fear of the Walking Dead. And, you know, he's really in a place that. You know, I always look at him like, look at you. You were just supposed to go to med school. <laughs> you know? Exactly right. Yeah, you'd probably be, you know, short hair, parting your hair on the side like your brothers or something if you still lived in Pittsburgh. But here you are, this like rock and roll zombie king. And uh, it's 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 fun to see. I like watching it. I like going with him to places. And oh, yeah, they just they mob him. And I'm like, do little do they know that guy slept on my couch for six months. <laughs> Well, I love the fact that he's still rocking the long hair. I mean, I feel like in a way it's like a rebel thing too. Like, you know, like his dad's like, you're not going to get anywhere with that hair. He's like, well, I'm keeping it <laughs> yeah. literally for the rest of my life. Yeah, no, he, he cut it off at a short, for a short period, but his wife loves the eighties. And so I think, I think, you know, cause they're always going to like, Hey, there's a journey revival. Not that I'm making, I love journey. So I would go yeah. too. But they love all that stuff, and and I think it's just you know I'm afraid if we cut Greg's hair, he'll lose all his strength and creativity. <laughs> it's all it's all harness in the hair. <laughs> um, I'd love to circle back to Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe again. As you had mentioned, you were nominated and subsequently won the Oscar for Best Achievement in Makeup, as well as the BAFTA Film Award for Best Makeup and Hair. I mean, firstly, what was it like working on that film? It was great. It was a dream come true because I always wanted to do a film like that that was really creature and character driven. And and most of all, I wanted to work on a movie my children could see. I have three children. They're all grown up now. But back then, they were little. And they couldn't see anything I worked on. And it gave <laughs> me a really great opportunity to, to – to bring the shop into this world and, and my children and, and myself. And, and it was, a, it was over a year and a half to work on the show, like from prepping oh, it. Wow. Yeah, I was on it forever. So prepping it was a long, long prep period. And then shooting it was, you know, another eight months or whatever, seven, eight months in New Zealand. And, uh, 
it was the biggest crew I ever worked with at that time. It was the most amount of stuff I'd ever done at that time. It was exhausting. I mean, I was fried. I was fried. I remember getting home after the shoot back to LA and I was sick for like two weeks, I laid up in bed. I was just so drained of everything, you know, but also, wow. also the movie experience kind of paralleled the story where, you know, you're in the, you're in on earth or you're in this universe and then you get sucked into another world and you live yeah. in that world. And then at the end you come out of the world and it's so depressing. And that's kind of how I felt. I was really, was wow. really sad because I, I just loved the universe I got to be in and, you know, I just wanted to go back and then I got lucky enough that it, you know two years later they're like hey we're going to do another one you want to work on it and I'm like are you kidding of course I can hardly work back <laughs> to Narnia so you know but it, it was an amazing experience I mean I never worked so hard um, I was so proud and you know when you're working on a film you're never thinking about like this is my Oscar because that's well that's just stupid to think that way and and, oh, we're, yeah. and we're not in it for that I'm not in it for that I'm in it to just make cool stuff and, you know, make sure all my guys are employed and we have a great time and it, it all works out. And, and all the other stuff is just gravy, you know, and it was, you know, I always dreamed of maybe someday, you know, winning an Academy Award when I was a kid, but who knew what, if that was even possible. And then this really made it possible and to go to the BAFTAs and to go to that. And then I, you know, the, uh, uh, the science fiction, the Saturn Awards as well. Won oh that. yeah. So it was like a very, very like year of winning everything. And, and, um, I had a blast man. I just let, I just went hog wild and had fun and, and enjoyed that whole entire month of the nomination till the show. And, um, it was, it was cool. What was going through your mind when you found out you were nominated? I mean, that has to be kind of an insane ride at that point. You're like, Oh my gosh, I just got nominated for an Oscar you know, and a BAFTA and then all these other awards. It was, it was great. I mean, I didn't, you know, the producer um, of the film, Mark Johnson called me, it was like six 30 in the morning and he went to the uh, Academy uh, on Wilshire and heard the announcements and he called me. He's like, Hey Howard, congratulations. You're going to the Academy Awards. And I was like, Oh my God. And, um, I, uh, remember I called all my kids and, and, uh, told them and I, you know, cracked open a bottle of, um, uh, of, uh, uh, champagne I had saved. And I, it was just, it was, I was out of my mind and, and, uh, I went to work and it was super exciting. And yeah, it was one thing after another. It was just a really, really amazing adventure. And, and, uh, yeah, I still love it. I mean, I'm still so excited when I think about it and, you know, look at, you know, I've got the Oscar and the BAFTA in my office and I'm like, look at that. Look what I did. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> it is, it's got to be definitely pretty surreal again, like going back all the way to where this started, you know, like doing this in a shed at your house yeah. as a kid. Yeah, to now. it's true. Just laying on the floor sculpting, you know, but, you know, I, I get I, it's like I had a great crew, like the guys at K&B are amazing. And my set crew was amazing. And Tammy Lane was my cohort on that. She was my key. And, you know, we both won the Oscar. She won an Oscar. And I won an Oscar. And yeah, um, and it was just an amazing time for us. You know, we had, yeah, you just don't expect it, you know, it, it, and, and not that your, your career doesn't change that much. I mean, granted, some people will treat you differently, but you have to act, uh, not act differently. I'm sorry. You, 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 know, you have to step up and, and 
and show the respect of what you have accomplished and that you mm-hmm. respect what you do and the people and you're going to get respect back. There's people that have won Oscars that think they should be respected because they have an Oscar, but they're, oh, they're not really great people and, yeah. and they're not respected. They're actually really disrespected by other, other people in the industry. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta just be cool and, you know, not let it change you, you know, cause it's, it is, it's an, it's an award. It's fantastic. It's the highest mm. film award you can get, but then the next day you have to go to work. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. You know, it's not like, you know, now you don't have to do everything again or they give you, here's your, it's not like the Nobel prize. Here's your Oscar and a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Or whatever. And you're done. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> no, okay, yeah. I gotta, I gotta go do Freddy part seven tomorrow. So, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna have to leave the party early. So you gotta, you, you keep that in mind, you know, where, you know, what it means and, and, uh, you know, what it means, it probably means more to others too, you know, cause yeah. people see it's like, Oh my God, can I hold it? I'm like, yeah, of course, go ahead. <laughs> They're like, Oh my God, he let me hold it. This guy's insane. Oh, oh yeah. Gosh. No, all the time. I wanted <laughs> that night. I let everybody hold. I ran up to people like, please hold this. Please. I ran up to so many celebrities. I always wanted to meet And I just had that Oscar in my hand and they're like, Oh my God, that's so great. Can I hold it? I'm like, absolutely. You know, so tons of- <laughs> and let me get a photo real quick of you. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, no, it was great. Cause it's just, it's just a magical thing. It's your night. You know, it's, yeah. you know, you can do whatever you want. You know, and something else I'd love to talk about with regards to your career is, you know, this relationship that you've clearly formed with director Quentin Tarantino over the years. I mean, you first worked with Quentin back in 1994 on Pulp Fiction and have since gone on to work on eight other films with Quentin with the most recent being the hateful eight. How did you guys meet? And what was, what was it like working with him over the years? Well, we, we knew Quentin before he was famous. So oh wow, we had met Quentin and actually Reservoir Dogs was the first movie we did. Oh, uh, really? I, yeah. I, yeah, mistake on my part. No, no, it's okay. We've only, uh, Quentin has only worked with us, <laughs> which wow. is super, super cool. So what happened is, is that Scott Spiegel, who co-wrote Evil Dead too, and yeah. um, directed that movie we, we did, Intruder, always had barbecues. And we went over there and there was a guy who was a friend of Scotty's and we just got to know him and, you know, we'd hang out with him and go to dinner or go see movies, John Woo movies at the new art or whatever. And, and, um, and so Bob Kurtzman had written an outline for this kind of like action gangster vampire movie called Dust Till Dawn. Bob wrote, wrote 20 pages. And he's like, I got to get a real writer. So he went to Quentin and said, Hey man, I'll throw you 1500 bucks. If you would write the script for me. And Quentin's like, yeah, I, I, you know, that's great. I'll, I'll tell you what this is. I'll take that money. I can not, then I'll, I, I don't have to work at the video store anymore. I'll focus on writing this script and then I can actually start to be a writer. But if I ever get a movie going, you guys do the effects for free. And we're like, yeah, that sounds great. Whatever. So we just found the receipt for the, we just actually found the copy of the check. Greg found it. And it's, it's the first check ever written to Quentin Tarantino for writing. And it's $1,500. <laughs> oh my gosh. I cannot even imagine. Yeah, it's crazy. That is- so, so Quentin wrote Dust Till Dawn and Bob sent it out. Everybody hated it. They're like, you can't do a film. It's too, it's nonlinear. Is it a gangster film? Is it a, action is it a vampire like this is the worst writing ever da, 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 da. so then quentin calls one day and it's like hey i got money to make this movie reservoir dogs so i'm calling in the other half of the favor and i'm like okay sounds good so bob pretty much dealt with that because dust Dom was really the favor he did it yeah for, you know so so we did all the blood the ear chopped everything for the movie and bob was on set doing what he had to do and then 
But we had no idea what the movie was going to be like. And Quentin called and said, hey, I'm going to have a little screening in Hollywood. You guys want to come see it tonight? And we're like, yeah. And we walked out going, what in the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. And I was like, oh, this guy is great. What? Where did this come from? You know? Right. It's like yesterday we're at the New Art buying tickets for, you know, a better tomorrow. John Woo's better tomorrow. Quinn doesn't have any money. And then we have to buy the ticket. And <laughs> today he just made one of the greatest films I've ever seen. So it's been great watching him, you know, and, and, uh, I've been, I haven't been as lucky as Greg. Greg has really spent a lot of time with Quentin. They're very good friends and he's always on set. The only shows Greg wasn't on set for were, was Kill Bill and, we ping-ponged on Pulp Fiction. I did a handful of days. Greg did some days, and Bob did some days. And then um, and then Dust Till Dawn, I was on every single day with both Greg and I. That might have been the last time Greg and I were on set together. I was on oh Dust gosh. Till Dawn because we we're so always so busy. And, yeah. And being, you know, we go do all these other shows. But, um, but yeah, it was great. And that's where we met Robert Rodriguez, and that started that relationship. Exactly. And, you know, and, and, and uh, yeah, it's but it's great to see where Quentin's life is. I'm so happy for him. You know, it's now he's engaged and he's going to make another movie soon. And oh yeah, his whole life is really. I mean, it's a great life, and he's a great guy. And I always admired him, and and uh, I think he's a fantastic filmmaker, and he's one of my all time favorite directors. I'd say he's in my. I have like three favorite directors, and he's he's of course right there. Who would be the other two? Actually, now you've piqued my interest. Uh, see, I knew you were going to say that. I <laughs> I love Pete Berg. I love working with Peter Berg. He's, oh my gosh, he's yeah, so much fun, and um, he really works you hard. But I love Pete. I just think he's a total crazy character, and yeah. Um, but I I just I just I love the guy. And then I really really loved working with um, Andrew Adamson, who directed the the first and second Narnia film. Yeah, he was really great. And then one other director who I really dig is a guy named Rupert Wyatt, who did um, the remake of The Gambler with Mark Wahlberg. And we just did another film with him that'll be out in August called Captive State, which is a big sci-fi thing, which is oh wow. is super cool. And, and Rupert, Rupert did the the reboot of the Planet of the Apes um, films. The you know the uh, what is it Rise of the Planet of the Apes? I think yeah, yeah, that whole series. So, yeah, yeah. So he did Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which I thought was fantastic. And then I got to work with him on The Gambler, and then we worked with him on Captive State. And he's just a, such a a cool, cool guy. So you know, those those are the guys I love. I mean, I get to work with really great directors, anyhow. But yeah, you know, those guys are great. And and I've done. Let me think. I've done so many movies with Pete Burr. We did Very Bad Things, Lone Survivor, mm. Patriot's Day, Deepwater Rise, and I just did this year. We just finished uh, Mile. So five movies, Mile Twenty Two, wow. which opens up August third. So, so that uh, that's the yeah, that's the last Pete Burr film I did. That's it's so interesting too. It's like you know you're talking about all these major directors that you've worked with. It's not just like you you know respect them, you love their movies. It's like it's that, and you've also had the opportunity to work with these guys multiple oh, yeah. times. And then also the whole Quentin Tarantino thing. I think what's crazy about that is everyone knows you know the video store story, but the fact that like KMBFX is like somehow like involved so directly, especially again you're talking about the first check you know yeah, for a writing yeah. job. 
is just baffling to me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I think it's crazy, you know, and it's it's a great story. I was telling, uh, I had somebody in a chair, uh, uh, an actor in the chair, and we were talking about it, and I ran through the whole thing, and he's like, you're totally kidding me. Is that how it went down? I went, yeah, that's how it all went down. That's, that was Quentin's first paying job as, an, as a writer. You My know? God. So, but I mean, it's, 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 um, that's also why K&B has been around for 30 years is we have repeat business. Like we did all John Carpenter's movies for X amount of time. We did all Wes Craven's, all Toby Hooper, you know, during all the horror stuff. We always work yeah. with Michael Bay, you know, and uh, who's always a hoot. Michael, I, I get huge enjoyment working with Michael Bay. Um, you know, and granted, there's people that are like, oh, he's a monster. I think, <laughs> I think, you know what, you know what you're going to get. When you go to McDonald's and you order a Big Mac, you know you're gonna what you're gonna get, right? You're gonna know you're, yeah. you know what the Big Mac tastes like. You know what it's what it's gonna be. Same with Michael Bay. If you go work with Michael Bay, it's not gonna be like nothing you ex, you didn't expect. Like, I never saw this coming. It's like yes, you're <laughs> gonna hear him yell. Yes, you're gonna hear him scream. But the guy I have to say is got a really big heart. He's um he's super. I think he's cool. Uh, I really enjoy working with him and. Um, you know, like his films or hate his films, he's a, he's a uh, 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 technically a master at filmmaking, I think. Um, they always look great. He knows all the gadgets. He knows exactly what he wants. And, you know, I, I, you just don't argue with him. If he said, yeah. you know, paint, you know, part, paint Mark Wahlberg blue, I would have to then talk Mark into being painted blue, which could be <laughs> a, a feat. But I would do it. And, and because Michael has something in his head. That he only knows how it works. It, yeah. makes, it makes no sense to us. But at the end of the day, you're like, oh, that's what Mike was thinking. And because I did, I last year or two years ago, I did Transformers Five, and um, I was like at first going, oh God, this is gonna this is gonna be painful. But it wasn't. It was awesome, and I had a great time. And and uh, and I just sit there and I watch Michael spin, and I laugh and laugh and laugh because it's it's so entertaining. Oh yeah. <laughs> But then he'll come up to you and talk to you about something out of the blue. Like, hey, man, so what's up? Da, 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 da. And then he'll yell, like, what the F are you doing over there? You stupid <laughs> son of a You're like, there's Mike. <laughs> uh, always, always on. Oh, yeah, man. Well, that's the end of episode 24 of the Film Revere podcast. Remember to tune in this Wednesday to hear part two of my conversation with Howard Berger and to hear all about his work with the Orville and Legion, as well as to hear if your fan question was answered. Please show your support for the FR podcast by leaving a review on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you happen to listen to the show. Be sure to follow the company's social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Revered Network to get all updates first. Another great way to show your support is by getting a free audiobook and 30-day free trial from Audible by going to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. Also, tune in this Friday to catch the premiere episode of the Music Revere podcast featuring an interview with Julia Ross. Lastly, my guest for next week's episode of the Film Revere podcast will be primetime Emmy Award-winning film and television composer Jeff Russo. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Film Revere podcast. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.